Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. Julie, welcome to Friday, April 23rd. Yes, as the kids say, welcome to Fun Friday. <laughs> so I, actually, we had a fun discussion about, you know, the whole online thing and some people are online school and then offline, you know, regular school, then they're back. But what's been interesting is that the kids talk about some of the things that they've been able to do online that they could never get away with at school, such as bring your pet to school day. Where they all sit on the screen with cats and dogs, and I think one kid had a parrot. So, you know, it's not all bad. Well, tell Rochelle to do that on Premier Coaching today. Fun it's Friday? Pe- well, <laughs> oh, I, bring your actually, pet. speaking of Rochelle, I was on a, uh, we were That's doing a, a Libertas thing yesterday, uh, Mastermind, and uh, there was this thing that went by the screen. It was this long, spindly, wirely thing with this big poofy yeah. thing at the end. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I, I saw Rochelle's picture. I saw this thing, like, floating around in front of the camera. I said, Rochelle, what the heck is that? And then she picked up this ugliest cat I've ever seen. <laughs> I can't what remember was which one that oh is. Oh, my gosh. But one of her uh, – I've been in her office. She has office cats. Rochelle's one of our coaches, by and, the way. And uh, these cats, it's like their feet never touch the ground. They walk around on her file cabinets and wreck the place all the time. They're, oh. they're kind of, you know, yeah. not the friendliest. And they are kind of funny looking. <laughs> anyway. So, just so you guys know, maybe we shouldn't have take your cat to Facebook Live today, but we'll see. So it's Friday. So it's a little bit casual Friday here at yeah. uh, Harris Coaching. So just yeah, Exactly. Um, so we had a very, I think, a very good week, a very great week with all the feedback they're getting from coaching clients, from podcast listeners. It's exciting to see people transition mentally, really, from the way that maybe they were thinking with regards to what it took for them to be successful in real estate, which generally was disorganized thinking, which generally was kind of confused thinking. Should I be focusing on this? Should I be focusing on that? And once they lock into our system, they seem to be, I don't know, there seems to be a sense of relief finally having direction. Uh, and I, every time I get an, uh, an email like that, obviously, or a text or whatever, I always appreciate it because that is really what our mission is, is to make their paths, their ascension easier than it otherwise would have been. So I definitely appreciate their feedback. But it also makes me a little bit fearful for all these new agents getting in the business that they're not going to have the, I mean, if they don't discover us, they're going to just be sucked into the vortex of Mickey Mouse that just is awash everywhere with do this, do the other thing. I, I just can't imagine. I remember when you and I got in the business. Oh, by the way, what's the topic today? <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about how to raise your average sale price. That's good. So I remember when you and I got in the business, there wasn't that many things that, you, frankly, there weren't that many places to waste your money trying to buy a business. It just wasn't that prolific like it is now. No. But nowadays, it's almost like uh, agents are going to be so, you almost have to be like almost like a, a real estate Navy SEAL to basically cut through the Mickey Mouse and, and get to the essence of what it really takes to be successful in real estate. And it's really not that difficult. We tell you this every single day. Basically, you learn, well, not basically, you need to learn how to be a proactive lead prospect, a proactive lead generator. You need to be, learn to be a furiously fast lead follow-up or a great presenter and arguably a really good negotiator. You learn those four skills really, and you're going to be you know, honestly, guys, if you never get good at anything else in real estate, you're going to be fine. And here's the thing that's really bewildering to a lot of you. You don't need to have a brand. 
uh, in the sense that people are trying to tell you that you need to. You don't need to do all the social networking in the sense that people tell you you need to. All you've got to do is learn how to basically, uh, you know, there I said basically again. You know why the reason I'm going back to the word basically? Why? Because this should be the basics in everyone's mindset with regards to basically uh, accomplishing anything in life. Yeah, well, that's true. And the point being yeah. is that it really does come down to repetitious boredom. It comes down to doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. And the acceptance of that. Right. And if you don't, you know, learn those basics of yes. success in life and business and, you know, your personal life, you're really not going to, you'll have little maybe um, you know, tastes of success, but this lots, but lots of frustration. So if you're getting into the business now, or if you're reigniting your business, or if you're planning on taking your already successful business to the next level... Do yourself a favor and really drill down on where your business comes from, where it truly comes from, and you're going to find out, without a doubt, that it very consistently comes from the, well, let me preface this, the business that you're not paying uh, exorbitant referral fees for, you're going to find your business comes primarily from proactively generation. And that's where it's always come from, and it's always where it'll always come from. And the more people that gravitate towards the passive stuff, the more opportunity there'll be with the proactive stuff. In other words, the more agents that are hiding behind their screens trying to, you know, manipulate through clever marketing messages, you know, did you get into real estate thinking that you're going to have to be some sort of clever online marketer? You didn't, did you? You thought you were going to be helping people. You thought you were going to be, you know, showing houses or listing properties, helping people solve problems. Isn't that what you thought your business was going to be? And and you get into the business and your dreams and your potential co-op by other people are just trying to manipulate you into thinking you have to create all this other noise, which you really don't. You know, they say, well, if you're not getting business from all this passive stuff, you just have to do more of it. Does that even make sense to you? I mean, fundamentally, intellectually, doesn't that just seem a little preposterous? Well, it's because it is. Usually when something is working, you want to do more of it, not <laughs> when something isn't working. Well, it's because the truth is, is that most of them who are selling this Mickey Mouse know it doesn't work. And so when it doesn't work and their com- their customers complain that it's not working, the only thing they can do is say do more of it because they can't really admit that it's not working, right? That's right. Do and, more of it and do it longer. And yeah, if you want to have the competitive advantage, the unfair competitive advantage, like I, I received an email yesterday. And somebody sent me their four-part, they, you know, they were very proud of this four-part plan they had to go after for sale by owners, for example. And not one single thing on the point was go knock on the door, call the seller. Not one single Uh, one. It was all, well, I'm going to do a a mailer and then I'm going to do a a social networking campaign around them because I'm going to look up their name and property records and find them on Facebook or whatever. I'm going to do all this other stuff. Nothing about actually having a real conversation with someone about selling their house. And I just don't get why people are so naive into believing that is in even remotely efficient when it comes to making money and helping people. Why don't you just actually have a conversation with someone about some, you know the FISBO for, in my example? And that's what I told him. You know, let's segue into our topic. Yes, which let's segue. is how do you I mean? This is a quintessential question of virtually every agent, especially this happens when they figure out how to proactively lead generate. I had an interesting conversation with one of our coaching clients in Chicago yesterday who has figured out, by and large, how to actually set appointments fairly regularly. And But his average uh, net commission was less than 5000 per deal. Okay, So one would say, and I think he's on track to do between 40 and 50 transactions this year. So if you're going to do 40 to 50 transactions and you know how to do that work and you know how to generate it, why not? raise your average sale price and have a, a better average net. Not that there's anything wrong with selling meat and potato stuff, but that's a, a common question that we get. And and then even uh, on up to the food chain, you know, agents that have figured out how to, how to systematize even further, 
who doesn't want a higher average sale price, really? It comes up all the time. The only exceptions being if you live in a market where there's not an average sale price that's higher, there's that. Well, that's true, and that is possible. Yeah, that is definitely possible. Or you live in a super rural area, I mean, that's going to be a challenge for you as well. But for the most part, every single community has, um, you know, just look, drive around your neighborhood, drive around your city. You're going to see, generally speaking, people will migrate from one particular neighborhood to another, to another, to another. That's how suburbia is basically set up. Even in an, uh, an urban area like Manhattan, you know, you go from this building to that building to that building. Or this there's, area of town or, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And there's that, you know, you go from this area of town, you want to live up in the Upper East Side. That's, you know, the whole thing. So those migration trends in little, uh, you know, densely packed urban environments, the same as suburbia. Again, you get to the countryside, then it's a little bit different. Um, but really, at the end of the day, these uh, the real premise here of what we're going to be presenting to you is the skill set that you have hopefully are on your way of, or have developed with regards to working with lower end sellers or even medium price range sellers. It works all the way up the food chain. Sellers are sellers. They always ask the same questions, always have the same fears and concerns. So we're going to go through um, from our book, by the way, Harris Rules. We're going to read to you some of the points about how to raise your average sale price. And I think uh, all of you should be motivated to pay very close attention to this. You know, how would you like to make one sale that equals three of your current sales? <laughs> exactly. Just to get your mind working. And so our kind of pre-point before we get to our three bigger points is a lot of agents don't go after this. We talked about this a little bit uh, on a different podcast, simply because they're uncomfortable in those price ranges. Mm-hmm. And we've found over the years that generally that starts with whatever price range is above whatever you're living in. Or two above, really. Or maybe two above yeah. what you're living in. Just because, you know, you're familiar with your neighborhood. You study that a lot. You you know, you looked at the comps before you bought for yourself. And so, you know, you have a comfort level with that. But, you know, there's also some truth. Do you, like when you and I were in real estate, we probably should have skipped where we bought our first time buyer house. Mm-hmm. And then we went to that place that was on Olentangy, right? Whatever yep. it was. And then we mm-hmm. went to that nice little house that yeah. Romanelli and Hughes built. What we should have done is skip the middle one and gone right to the Romanelli and Hughes yeah. one. Probably, yeah. And so some of you guys should be thinking about that as well. When Julie said most of you are you know, barely comfortable in the price range that would be above yours, maybe skip that and go to the price range that's two or three above yours. Really, you know, jump the shark with regards to your business momentum. Because again, what you're going to discover, it's the same type of people that they just transacted more times. But they're the same people that you know now, they're just further up the ladder, you know, in terms, they're maybe a little bit older, they're more successful. But they have the same wants and needs and desires as the folks that you're working with now. There's really fundamentally no difference except the ones that we're going to point out to you, which you can hone in on and essentially make it so those are not working against you. We're talking about you know shared backgrounds, shared education, um, you know affluence levels, those types of things. So Julie's and, and upgrading everything, which is also in the book, yeah, because that will help you with your confidence level. Right. So that's a separate chapter. But uh, how do you cure this nervousness? Well, do a lot of previewing, perhaps move to a neighborhood like that yourself. We talked about when we moved to New Albany Country Club, for example, but get some better exposure so you're not living in fear of the unknown. Well, it's you, since you brought that up, when Julie and I got in real estate, we had no money to buy nice clothes. So we went and bought them from a thrift store. It was a we nice did. thrift store. It was a nice thrift store. It was a consignment <laughs> yeah. store, not a thrift store, but yeah. it was a thrift store. Yeah. So we went and bought all of it. And of course, nothing fit. But if you're just getting into the real estate business, you can do the same thing. There's some really nice consignment stores and then take whatever you bought to a tailor and have them essentially make it so that it fits you. It's not that difficult or expensive to do that. Uh, so there's no excuses not to upgrade everything, even if you're on the you know newer end of the spectrum. And if you're on the lower end of the spectrum, I'm sorry, if you're if you're essentially moving up and you're already essentially selling expensive houses, make sure you are uh, constantly staying really sharp with the way you look and the way you present. 
uh, your your collateral, your material, the car you're driving, all that stuff does matter. But again, I don't want to jump on any Julie's yeah, points. That's okay. So, and that's all in the book too, by the way. So, how do you raise your average sale price? Well, you know, they're going to be tempted to do what you just said and try and market their way into it, try and passively get into these neighborhoods that they desire to sell in, and yet. The actual most efficient way is, number one, actually prospect unrepresented sellers, otherwise known as for sale by owners or FISBOs, expireds, withdrawns, and temporarily off the market listings in the price ranges and neighborhoods that you desire. I guarantee you that they're in there. And especially, you know, the higher up you go, the more expired you see because there's fewer people that can live in those price ranges. Julie and I did exactly what we're That's describing right. to you now. We we moved from an average sale price at the time we mentioned this the other day. The, it was like 225000 Now, this was back in the 90s, so that was the average sale price pretty much for the country. And then we wanted to do exactly what we just suggested to you. And there's this beautiful area across town called New Albany Country Club where the average sale price at the time was a million dollars. There was nothing in that community, nobody in that community that we had any sort of social or no, no contacts, no connections whatsoever. But what we did is we took the exact same expired uh, process that we frankly, included in our premier coaching program that worked to help us sell hundreds of houses in you know lower price ranges. We went and then polished it up a little bit and we then went over to New Albany and we started going after expireds. And guess what we found? The sellers were elated that someone was actually trying to make a high level effort to get their house sold little and get it listed. And we took lots of listings. And, and here, I'll tell you exactly what we did. We took a whole bunch of expired listings that most of the competitors out there, those high-end agents, they stopped working effectively after like around November. And there were a whole bunch of expired listings that came up. And Julie and I went out there and uh, we solicited them. We, we knocked on their doors. We were very, very aggressive and proactive. We did not have a single bad experience. People are very appreciative of it. And then all these listings that were expiring, the, the folks were playing on listing in the spring, we listed like six of them. And these higher end, this is not a big community, so six was a lot. So we put them all for sale again in the same two-week period. And I remember the local market was just flabbergasted. Who are this Tim and Julie Harris? Who are they? How could they have done all this? And what we did, and I remember one of the old guard agents basically said, we didn't take you guys seriously before when we saw you were trying to get into New Albany, but now we do. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is once we had that momentum from hunting those expireds, we never turned we never turned back. And we went after more expireds and more sellers heard that we were getting the job done. We were da 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 This is the th type of thing that you can do yourself because this is easily replicatable once you know the scripts, once you have a pre-listing pack, once you have a listing presentation, you can do all these things yourself. That's right. And it's so much faster and more efficient than the other two things, which of course we'll talk about. But really, you only need one or two great listings because what you can do with those listings to then springboard into the next listings and you get the right mixture of buyers and sellers and you're working maybe some relocation on the side. I mean, it just takes really one, maybe two killer listings that you work really hard. I'll never forget, um, you know, when we held uh, e held Ely Court open. I remember that one very well. Yeah, big, beautiful house. And I can't remember, was that an expired? I think it, I think it was, I can't remember yeah. now. But um, it was a sleety, nasty, rainy, like March day, you know, and nobody gray else, skies. Nobody else was working, let alone holding an open house. Yeah, and, and in these higher end neighborhoods, at, at least in New Albany at the time, nobody really held open houses. But we already knew from our previous uh, markets that open houses, as we've been teaching you for the previous days this week, <laughs> can kill it, right? So we had the harebrained idea of actually holding an open house in a high end golf course community. And we were in our 20s. And remember, we're yeah. surrounded by a lot of the agents then were in their 40s and 
1950s and 60s. And they, all these folks were mostly socially connected. They, yeah. Kids went to the same schools. They grew up together. There was a they lot of together. There was it was a very a largely a dominant Jewish community of which Julie are not Jew, Julie and I are not Jewish. So we had no reason to be successful there. But they all appreciated the fact that we were working our butts off, and they noticed it, and they awarded rewarded us with their business when they had a house to buy or sell. Well, but I know where you're going with your yeah, story. No, you Go can ahead. Continue because you well, went on that appointment. But yeah, yeah. With Dr. Right. P. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So we got this. Uh, we you know, had this listing. We had multiple offers. We, you know, and this was an expired. It had not obviously been. And the previous. open house did well in spite of the sleet. I mean, it was it was on a great street where you could see what was happening. It was oh, next yeah. to the golf course. It was on it's a court. Perfect. And like literally cars were waiting and people were waiting to get into that house. They were mostly curious, granted. <laughs> but they were, guess who was curious? The neighbors who we then were getting to know. Um, and remember, we're here in our, we're there in our consignment clothes, basically, you know, which were ill-fitting, um, and we're hold, in our twenties, and we're holding this. It was one point three million dollar house, and nowadays that house would probably be worth about three and a half. Yeah. So we get a call. This is months later. We get a call from a guy named. Uh, it was well, Doctor P. Julie doesn't want to say his last name, and that's fine. And he was probably and certainly in the Midwest, if not in the United States, one of the best known cardiologists. I won't get into the weeds and give you the details, but the gist of it was this guy owned hundreds of homes. So we get a call from him and he basically says, um, you know, I have a, I want to sell a house and buy a house and just do various transactions, but I want you guys to swing by and so I can talk to you about obviously doing business with you. And I, again, I won't talk about the listing appointment. It was pretty extraordinary, a story in itself, but he specifically said the reason that I'm uh, called you guys out. And yes, of course, I know all the local realtors. I know you are new in this market is because of the open house you did. Because you were working on a day where, you know, in a time of year where no one else was working. Now, that was proof uh, positive that people who are successful definitely appreciate and recognize the hustle. Game and smells game. Game smells game. That's right. Yeah, and we had zero previous connection to him or the neighborhood or his house or any of his friends or anything else. Jules, we knew and nobody. We also, and we had not marketed to that neighborhood either. We knew nobody in New Albany. Nobody. Nobody. Not a soul. We really had no business being there. And yet, what happened? <laughs> and inside, yet. inside 24 months, exactly. we became one. For a while, we were the most dominant listing agent. And then we were awesome. based, you know, we were always one of the top three. Yeah, it was great, especially when they didn't see us coming. So right. that's all good. All right. So, yes, that is the most efficient, most effective, least expensive way to attack the high-end market. Some of you will take that seriously and some of you won't. So for that reason, we have the two other points. You mentioned one of them. Uh, no, point number two, again, this is how to get into the high end. Uh, socially network, but by that I mean in person as well as maybe a little bit online on different things that you're doing. But with the types of people who live in the neighborhoods that you wish to work in, volunteer at events, get on the homeowners association and consider moving there if you can swing it. And that's what we eventually did. And uh, those, you know, we moved to New Albany Country Club area, bought this really nice house. And, um, you know, it was, trust me when I, Julie was, she was in her late 20s. And we bought this house that was over 5,000 square feet, this big brick Georgian mansion, basically, mm -hmm. you know, and we started getting to know all the neighbors and we started getting involved in all the community things. Now, we had a, a disadvantage that some of you won't have. Uh, we didn't have any children. And so when we lived there, we had no kids. Had we had kids, oh. they'd have been a different ball, ball of wax altogether. Bigger, sure. So those, those of you with children, you guys know that having kids and living in a community does give you a very unfair advantage because the kids are going to send, well, assuming your kid's an extrovert, your kids are going to put you in a position where you're going to be meeting everybody all the time. 
not Whether to, you want to or not. Not yes. to mention, right. <laughs> not to mention all the extracurricular activities you can get involved in. And, you know, just the, it's endless the amount of socializing you can do. And when you live in a community, when people see you're successful in community um, and you're proactively lead generating in that community, then all of a sudden you, you know, you're going to have different angles of approach with all these prospective sellers. You're going to hear about things happening. I mean, Julie and I still are wired to think uh, in terms of, uh, hunting for listings, right? We live here in um, Dorado and Puerto Rico, and we cannot help ourselves from having exploratory conversations with different uh, neighbors and friends about houses that are coming for sale. We we just do it subconsciously. Like Julie and I will just be stumbling, you know, go on a walk yesterday and someone, you know, rolls by in his his golf cart and we start talking to him and, and we just start asking, you know, how's it going? His wife's pregnant. Everything is good. And then naturally, somehow, magically, I find myself writing his number down because I find out he's got a house that he wants to sell, and we have a friend that wants to buy a house. I just thought that didn't even – that was I so – ins- you know, and you and I haven't sold real estate in forever. I know, but we're in the habit of using the Ford script, family right. occupation, recreation, dreams. His wife's pregnant. We asked, "What? How is the baby news all good? You know, yep. he's about to have the baby next month. And so you get used to having these conversations. And again, I would point to the fact that the better you get at this type of thing, these first two points – one is, you know, expireds and for sale by owners. And the other one is uh, being socially active and talking about, it's a Pisces symbol, uh-huh. uh, uh, talking about real estate, you know, and, and Ford is your entryway into that. And he even, you know, it's funny, you didn't even realize you did that because on that same conversation, we never knew what he did. And you asked him, that's O, occupation. Yeah. And then we ended up talking about real estate. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it is funny. Yeah. But we do that. And I would say that... Um, you know, we're fools not for getting referral fees on all these conversations we're having. Seriously. <laughs> yes, I know. This is a good point. But... Um, we just flip... When we when Julie and I generate a lead or we have one of you sending in a referral, if you're part of our EXP Libertas group, we'll put know. it on the EXP Libertas referral site. But it, otherwise, we just always send them to coaching clients. And Julie, we never try to get in the middle of any transactions. So yeah. if you're looking for, I mean, that's another advantage of being a coaching client with ours. You're going to get the occasional referral. Uh, and there won't be a you know a referral fee in the middle of it. It'll just be between you and yep. the agent. So. Yeah, I think I, did, I sent three referrals amongst our coaching clients yesterday. Yeah. Um, one for north of Atlanta and two in Austin. Isn't that so, awesome? Yeah, you know, it's, it's great. It's one of the reasons the Facebook Live um, thing that we do with Premier Coaching is so good because they get to know each other and who's working which markets and, you know, they start to like each other. It's all good. So let's round the bend on our how to raise your average sale price. Um, so yes, be social. You were talking about going on a walk, talking to somebody on their golf cart. There's, there's tons of real estate leads that happen on the playground or at Starbucks or just don't be a secret agent. Get more comfortable having those conversations. Okay. So point number three, yes, we're going to talk about marketing a little bit, but it's really not that necessary if you do the first two things. Jill, so let's just go back to what you just said, yeah. because again, you, the problem you and I have mm-hmm. is because we've uh, been doing this for so long. We, we make take them, it for granted. And we, yeah. t- we basically start preaching to the choir. So we got to always make sure that we yeah. don't go so fast and assume what they're talking about, mm-hmm. you know. So you just said something that was really powerful. And I'm thinking about, like, if I had heard what you just said when you and I were in our formidable years of selling real estate, it had been very impactful. Mm-hmm. The biggest mistake most agents make in their entire careers is they basically stay secret agents. Yes. They don't put themselves out there as being, um, you know, basically interested in helping people buy or sell real estate. And the reason is, is because their egos are telling them that they'll be perceived as you know, pushy sales people. And the exact opposite is true. Yeah. Um, and for the sake of brevity, I'm not going to go into the psychology of that. But let's just leave it at 
uh, as the exact opposite being true. When you don't ask for business, when you're not letting people know you can help them, you're actually actually subconsciously offending them because they know you're in real estate. For you not to talk to them about real estate, especially your centers of influence and past clients, it's weird to them because they know that you're in real estate and yet you're not talking with them about real estate. Subconsciously, the message you're sending to them is you're not interested in doing business with them. Now, I, again, we're not going to get into that. It's in the, We talk about that a little bit in our book, Harris Rules. But here's the real the takeaway of what Julie said. You are surrounded with people right now that want to buy or sell real estate. Or in this market, unfortunately, if they're buyers, a lot of them are going to be leasing or renting real estate. But you're surrounded by them everywhere you go. Um, we tell this story because it's really a valid story. There was a Starbucks that we would go to. Now, here's the irony of it. Julie and I are home office, but we'd still go to the Starbucks every morning because there would always be a long line for coffee and all these people were tropsing off to work. And we'd go in line at Starbucks and the gal that managed the store was always behind the counter. Her name was Tristan and she was a, a coach, or not coaching client. She was a real estate a client. Past we, client of ours. Yeah. And she would all, no matter how long the line was, and sometimes it was uncomfortably out the door, especially when it was cold. That's the word uncomfortably. <laughs> and she would always say, hey, Tim and Julie, how's the market? She got so many real estate conversations started for us that it was incredible, you know, and we always, but why did we do that every morning? Because we knew she would do that. And we knew that lots of those people were in line to go to work and, you know, we were going to make contacts. And there's other things that we did like that as well to intentionally put ourselves in the way of uh, people wanting to have real estate conversations. And we didn't ask them, you know, we weren't just directly soliciting them all the time. We'd just be talking about using the Ford script. How's, you know, the family, the occupation, the recreation, the dreams. And real estate always came out. We'd always start out by asking them questions, never talking about ourselves, never talking, never leading with real estate, really. <clears throat> but every conversation ended up with real estate. Well, and you can put yourself in the position also with some of these meetings that it naturally is going to come up. I remember at that same Starbucks, which was a great location centralized in the community we were trying to work. And the irony was one of our biggest uh, competing brokers uh, was uh, like two doors down from the Starbucks. And we were there every morning. Isn't that funny? And none of those agents ever showed up. No, they never did. They never did. But, um, you know, for example, every Friday, excuse me, every Friday, uh, New Albany Women's Network had a meet and greet for newly... Uh, moved into New Albany people to, you know, get socially networked with each other. And so don't you think that real estate came up as one of those topics for people who were new to the community? So you can go to meetings like that. You could start meetings like that. It's so much easier now too, Julie, because when we were selling real estate, the internet, there was no Facebook. There was no Google. Well, like meetup.com is a great place to get started. And I know you guys think that sounds like a dating site. It is not. Meetup.com is for, um, you know, posting different clubs, meetups, events, things like that. So you, you go there. It's free. You can go there and you type in your zip code and then you type in what kind of radius, 10 or 15 mile radius around where you want to be. And then it asks you what your interests are. But so one of the things we did, and this mm-hmm. is rudimentary, it was we yep. would go and make phone directories for the communities yeah. that we are working in. So awesome. we would go and have like Lambton Park phone directory or this, that, the other. So we'd get the phone numbers of all the neighbors that consented to basically having their phone numbers in this directory. The public information would be in there. So their name and their address, phone number or not phone number would be up to them. And then we would essentially make this little binder and we give it out to people. And of course, our information, our, you know, to... Real estate information was on one of the pages, but at the end of the day, that's like Stone Age, and everybody keeps it. Yeah, but that's the reason. This still goes on too. That's the reason because everybody keeps it. But nowadays, if we were in real estate, I promise you, we'd be starting a a private Facebook group about our community's, um, you know, real estate market, or we're doing something like that. And then, if you're starting these things, or most cases, they're already going to be in existence. Get on there. 
Don't be a, you know, just subtly watch. Get the, don't be a secret agent, but at the same time, direct message people. Be very careful about what you're posting. Don't make, don't just always have real estate breath all the time. You know, be supportive, <laughs> be part of the community, and real estate will naturally come up. But that is a sort. But don't just do the online stuff like we just described. Do the offline stuff too. So now you got to think if you're making your way up to these upper sale, uh, upper price ranges, you're how many different ways are you touching these people? If you've moved there, they're probably going to know you or know of you. You're now basically, you know, friends with them probably on some different uh, online, uh, you know, members only mm -hmm. community websites. Your kids might be in contact with them. You might they'll see your open house. They'll do da da da. This all these things accumulate. All these ways, and this is the way you can essentially take over a high-end market. Well, all the other, um, most of the agents in high-end markets are complacent because they get all their business from their centers of influence. And they're just expecting the business to come to them. And you also discover when you're working high-end markets, most high-end agents get almost all their businesses from, generally speaking, they'll belong to the country club or they'll be on the, you know, they'll play tennis and they'll be all their tennis buddies. They'll have not very strong lead generation uh, spokes on their wheel so don't be intimidated by them. And I'll, this is the other thing that's really hard to explain to folks. Generally speaking, high-end agents have the, and don't be offended if you're a high-end agent because you know it's true, have the lowest skill set. If you take an agent who's used to selling like hundreds of cheap houses per year, relatively cheap houses, I promise you, you take an agent like that who's intimidated to go into the high-end market for psychological reasons, none of which are valid once they realize what I'm about to say is true. You take a top producing uh, grinder type agent and you drop them into a, um, a high-end market, they will dominate because the high-end agents for the most part have been spoiled with huge commissions and have never had to learn skill sets. And the greatest time to go after a high-end market, and this is what we did, we didn't do this intentionally, it just worked out that way, is when the market is shifting. When there's a, you know, even if prices escalating, prices dropping, prices being flat, anything like that, any sort of gyrations in the marketplace, the sellers who would normally have listed with Betty because they know her from tennis are going to be a little bit more careful who they're going to list with. And they're not just going to list with the social connection agent. They're going to maybe call her out for an I, yeah, you I, might interview against that agent. Right. You're going to compete against that agent. Yeah. But there's the essence of the word that most of you are um, fearful of hearing, the word compete. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason you guys keep your world so small. You just stay working your centers of influence and past clients in your own little you know, golden cages, in your own little community, surrounded by people that are just like you, similar backgrounds. You know, you're maybe one or two degrees away from somebody that all of you know. That kind of environment, it's fine if that's how you want to live. But what we're here to tell you is you can get extraordinary things from your essentially the skill set you learn working normal sale prices. Because when you know how to essentially work with all these different types of sellers in different types of situations, when you go and you sit in front of that high-end seller and you have a really good pre-listing pack, you have a really good uh, listing presentation, you know what to say and how to say it. Versus the other agent that just rolls in, probably didn't even change after tennis practice. Right. That's and uh, you you and they think, are assumptive typically. Totally, you think I'm exaggerating, and maybe I am just to make you guys laugh. But at the end of the day, don't be afraid of the high end markets. If anything. Um, you should gravitate towards them. And it's not enough just to take a bunch of pretty Instagram pictures with nice, a bunch of nice clothes while you're leaning on somebody else's Mercedes. That's not going to do it. High-end sellers are not going to be attracted to that. You have to go into the markets. I'll give you an example, and we'll round the bend on today's show. Rob Johnson. He is, I think, right now the number two agent in Greenwich, Connecticut. He was the number one agent in Greenwich, Connecticut uh, last year. He is, uh, Julie and I started coaching him personally, I don't know, six years ago, five years That's ago. Right. He just gotten into residential real estate. He was doing, um, he 
long story short, basically he was a new agent. He got into, and he'll tell you this too. He's not ashamed of it. And he was, he had a pickup truck, you know, he had a lot of things going for him, but for the most part, he had to really clean his act up to do what he's done with his very, you know, he's climbed the top of this very competitive mountain quickly. So he and I started, make, we made a plan and we had a 24 month plan. The goal was to make him the number one agent in Greenwich. It took actually three years, but he did it in terms of dollar volume. And he also, I don't think he did it in terms of units. I think he did it in terms of dollar volume. Now, how did we do it with Rob? Exactly what Julie and I are describing. He made a list of all the local um, clubs where you know, a lot of people hang out, where he knew some of the people, but he didn't know a lot of the people. He lived there, which was he already had that advantage going for him. He had he has three absolutely brilliant kids. They're all going to Ivy League schools. I mean, incredible, right? So he had social connections already, but he wasn't working any of them. So we made a calendar of the things that he was going to be doing. Believe it or not, he likes to go to the cigar club. There was this other, other things that him and his wife were doing. You know, this is very hoi polloi, high-end, one of the most expensive markets on planet Earth, Greenwich, Connecticut. And you on the East Coast, you have maybe never been there, but you've heard of it. It's everything that you think it is, plus about a 1,000% because it's so extravagant with so many, you know, old generation, like, People who've been rich before they created it's money like types. It's like the U.S. modern version of Downton Abbey. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And he's British too, so it gave that Robin helps. advantage, right? So, <laughs> so anyway, in this marketplace, remember, here's what he did when he hired us. He had he was flipping houses. That's what he was doing. In essence, he was he called himself a builder, a builder developer. Well, we got him selling real estate because he realized what he you know frankly the he could make a lot more money with a lot less time and hassle than doing what he was doing. We created a plan, and it wasn't just one thing. We started going after different little avenues for proactive lead generation. He to this day has done no direct mail. Um, he's done virtually nothing on social. It's all from the direct contact that you learn from being a proactive lead generator. Every single one of you can do the same thing. Now, that should excite all of you. It really should. Because here, just put it in this perspective. If you're in an average sale price right now in America and your average sale price is you know, 10500 and let's say you're making gross 11000 per check or something, per commission check. Well, if you move to an area, and so let's say for you to accomplish your goals, you want to sell you know, 30 houses a year. That's not bad, right? You're making four hundred grand a year or whatever. Well, for the same 30 houses, if you just move up market to where the average sale price is a million, for the same 30 houses, now you're making almost a million. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Seems to me like that's a no-brainer. So the moral of the story here is what we're trying to tell you guys is please do realize that your potential in real estate is only limited by the essentially the skill set you have and your willingness to make yourself slightly uncomfortable. And once you realize that people are people, uh, once you realize that everyone, when it comes to buying or selling real estate, appreciates, looks for, demands, especially in the upper end, somebody who has a true skill set, once you realize you can learn that skill set, there are no limits to where you can live because these market these skill sets are they're uh, transferable. So you might start out in Greenwich, Connecticut, but you always wanted to move to, I don't know, someplace in Florida because you get sick of the winters and the high taxes. Well, you can move down to where would be a nice place in Florida. There's nothing but nice places in Florida, pretty much. <laughs> Anywhere where the I'm, sun shines. Right, yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's all these, yeah, you know. It gives you freedom, really. Yeah. And, and you don't, you know, you might have to actually do fewer units than you're doing now. You right. You know, you have a lot more fluidity to what you're doing. And really, we haven't asked you to spend anything on this. No. Nope. No, you're going to have to have nice home brochures and, you know, maybe stage from time to you time. You do have to look nice. That's you, for sure. You have to, you know, turn it on. However, remember, for the new net average commission to you, you'll be able to do that. You'll be able to afford it. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, I think it's fun. We talk a lot about that in the book when we talk about upgrading everything. 
not just how you look and having your nails done and, you know, having your outfits together, but also the things that you know about. That's why our Sunday show is fun. Mm -hmm. You know, expose yourself on purpose to different things. One of our coaching clients, we were talking about going to auctions, uh, fine art auctions, car auctions, um, you know, just doing different charity events at museums and things like that. So that when she's, you know, at somebody's house, she's going to recognize, oh, you're a collector of blah, blah, blah. It helps you um, have some rapport. It expands your mind. It just, you know, makes you a better human being. People will, what Julie's touching on. I think it's fun. (laughs) it It is fun. It should be intellectually stimulating. But people will, especially in the really high end. They're going to look for ways that you are like them. Everyone does that, right? It's a tribal thing. Or that you're not like them. Or, so they can exactly. you out. Right. And so in the upper ends, especially since you're going to learn to compete with uh, for listings and you're not going to necessarily have a lot of connections, if any connections at all to these sellers, that's what you're really, That's the movement all you guys should be focusing on with regards to your uh, real estate practices is having the skill set to compete and win ag- against agents who are essentially centers of influence and past clients of those sellers. When you have that skill set, you are really, really powerful as an agent. But it does matter um, essentially that they feel comfortable with you. And so you're going to have to make yourself uncomfortable and you're going to have to be honest with yourself about what your mindset is about working with upper end sellers. Do you have some sort of mental block with going after more expensive listings? You probably do. So just identify it and, and then, you know, truthfully, don't try to work it out while you think the way you think because then you're going to lose too much time. Just start making and taking the actions that uh, counter to that way of thinking and the thinking will go away. That's really how it works when it comes to negative thoughts. Don't give, don't empower them. Just move past them by taking the actions that are, that are essentially unbalanced those negative thoughts. And then the negative thoughts will stop having a, a hold on you. But you are going to need to have uh, commonalities with these folks. You're not necessarily going to have an educational background that's similar. Julie and I certainly didn't. You know, we went to Ohio State. You know, we went, to, we, we didn't go to Harvard. And so, we didn't have the, that sort of collegiate tie-in, which a lot of people lean into when they're trying to socially bond with people. But we did have other interests they had interests in. And we found out what they had interests in, and we started participating in those things. You know, that we learned all about, um, you know, there was charity events for horses. and ho- I mean, there was things that all were happening. All kinds of things. And we'd find out about them, and we would attend them. Because we then would have, even if we were just there by, you know, Julie and I didn't know anybody when we go to some of these events, and we were wallflowers. But what we were doing is we are gathering information. We are looking for things that we could then talk about when we were going after those prospective sellers. You know, we were just at this charity event and we, you know, saw so-and-so and so-and-so and it was really great to see these types of, you know, the money that was raised. All We could have conversations with these folks that made them realize that we are at least aspirational, if not basically one of their community. You, know, you can create commonality. You can. You know, you just have to think about it and because you didn't grow up around it, you have to manufacture it and that's okay. And you know, the this really, I think it's kind of an interesting thought, but what most agents will do out of insecurity is they will be too uh, egotistical and they're going to want to make it all about them. And that's the exact opposite of the right. stance you should be taking. You, If you're really trying to get uh, people to want to do business with you, you should taste bile in the back of your throat every time you have a conversation where you're talking about yourself. Even if they ask about you, you should, as a professional, never talk about yourself any more than just to pivot the conversation back towards them. And, Which brings us full circle to using the Ford script. Right. Because that keeps you off of your ego. It, you, it really does. It forces does. you to make it all about them. If you And that's a little secret right there. I hope all of you get that. If you want people really to love you, get them talking about themselves. Never talk about... If you try to get Julie and I to talk about ourselves... 
it makes us physically uncomfortable because we've trained ourselves never to do it. Now, I know we'll tell our real estate stories because it's relevant to what we're talking about. But in this is our podcast, so it's not really a normal environment. But if we were, uh, if you guys knew us socially, you'll find that you will like talking with us because we always talk about you and ask you questions and try to remember the last time we talked to you. Yep. But if someone were to ask you about us, you're not going to know anything other than you like talking to us because we make you feel good because we always ask questions and show interest in you. Words to live by. Yeah. That's I mean, how your conversations should go. People will remember how you made them feel more than what you said. That's true. And that's absolutely true. And it's especially true in the upper ends. So if you really want to make your way uh, up the financial ladder, you can take a couple shortcuts. And the easiest one is increase your paycheck. Now, if you're in one of those communities where there is no upper end, uh, you might, or it's just so far away, it doesn't make sense. And it just is too much of a leap for you to maybe go from where you live to this area that's maybe two hours away. Might I give you a humble suggestion that it might be time for you to move? Uh, and maybe even move out of the state. You can do that. I know it's a big ask or it's something to think about, and maybe it's too expansive for some of you, but there are opportunities all over the country, and some of the best opportunities, well, here, the mega cities, the megatropolises, the Austins, the communities, the parts of the country that have momentum now, that momentum's not just going to reverse and start favoring a different part of the country. So the big, dense, uh, you know, uh, I'll call them states that are winning now are going to win for the, at least the rest of all of our lives. Yep. You're talking about Florida. You're talking about Texas. You're talking Tennessee. about Tennessee. You're Look where the migration trends are headed. People on the coast can deny it all they want to, but the reality of it is there's more people moving. Okay. There's more people moving out that are taxpayers than moving in. So when you look at, for example, some of these net migration trends, uh, people will try to counterbalance when people talk about it. I'm not going to mention a state because people get offended. But what you focus on or where the higher end, um, higher end people or um, citizens are moving. And if you see in like a state like, uh, you know, we'll just pick a state. Most Well, here, I'll get Connecticut because I know this one for a fact. Greenwich, Connecticut, basically that community pays all the state taxes for the entire state. Rob sent me a map, and it was Greenwich, Connecticut, this tiny little dot on this, you know, relatively small state map, paid like 99% of all the taxes to the entire state. Well, what happens if those people start moving out of Greenwich, Connecticut? Well, what happens if people start moving out of, you know, these big, densely populated areas in L.A. and on the East Coast, and they go to these areas around the country where it's, you know, essentially they get treated better? That's just the summary of why people are, are moving. And if you're stuck in those communities where you're hoping and praying that somehow the market turns around – you're going to go down with the ship. So you got to be looking at these macro trends that are happening in the country right now because they're going to pick up momentum as we come to the end of this lovely pandemic yeah. we've all been suffering through for the past two years. Exactly. Pay attention to what's hot and what's not. Yeah. So those of you guys who are in EXP, uh, Julia is doing a educational event in EXP that starts in 15 minutes. She's yes. giving me anxious looks right now because she wants to me to help. She wants me to help her log into EXP World, which of course I'll do. And if you guys are interested in joining Julia and I at EXP and joining our EXP family, of course we'd love to sponsor you. Just text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. Of course, we'd love to be your sponsors. Um, and of course, we think eXp is a great fit for all of you, high-end especially, new agents especially, midland agents especially. Like I said, all of you, big team, small team, brokerages, please give me a text, 512-758-0206. Have a fantastic day. We may or may not be doing a Sunday podcast. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. That's right. Have a great day, guys. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, 
visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.